Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Reclaimed Podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Elise, just a black girl out here trying to help everyone do better, including and especially herself. Hey, folks, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I sincerely appreciate you guys rocking with me every single week. So last week um, in the show, statistically, we talked about the new laws sweeping the nation um, to protect folks from Kyle's and Karen's 911 phone calls, specifically folks who may be uh, POC, living their life like it's golden, you know, just <laughs> people just being themselves, hanging out, minding their own business. And uh, Kyle and Karen decide they want to call the uh, the racial customer service on them. And yeah, that's not cool. And there's a whole bunch of laws that come into play. Now, I feel multiple ways about it. I'm sad that we need them. I'm happy that we have them. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm sad that people even feel the need to call police on black and brown people who are just out here living, doing what they do, walking around, all that stuff like that, or feel the need to interrogate people when they see them in you know, walking around neighborhoods and things like that, find the need to just go up and basically might as well just ask them like, hey, where are your walking papers? If you don't know what walking papers are, you do your Googles. Um, But yeah, you might as well ask them that. (sighs) But yeah, there's a bunch of laws in place. And yeah, y'all might want to stop that. Uh, We also talked about Abby Johnson. We talked about her remarks about her adopted son, who is, I believe, a a mixed child, mixed race child. Um, and how she said that, you know, he's a, at this point, he's like maybe like one or two. He's a toddler. And she said it would be smart for the police to racially pro- profile him because he has the potential statistically she kept using the word statistically wouldn't you know it's always funny when people use the words and then they don't like know what the words mean things y'all words mean things if you're going to say statistically you got to use statistics that was near one statistic that she had we dropped a ton of statistics on abby um and i still want to know i still want somebody to keep up with that kid and make sure that kid's okay because you know, what we will not do is have a child have self-hatred bred into them based upon their skin color. But this woman basically said that it was okay for the police to profile her child when he becomes older because it's going to be this big brute of a black man. And I'm like, lady, lady, you don't deserve that kid. Give that kid to somebody who's going to love that child because obviously you don't (laughs) if you say things like that. And compared it to her, quote, white, nerdy sons. I'm like, get out of here with all that. But yeah, that was last week's discussion. So we have a bunch of things to talk about this week. So let's dive into it. Hit it, Earl. Let the people of the reclaim say amen. Glad to be here, say amen again. And say amen one more time if you really like the show. We glad that y'all here today. And these will be your church announcements. All right, let's get into these church announcements. So, Donald J. Trump has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. That's right. According to Christian Tyring Getty, 
a member of the Norwegian parliament. Um, he deserves to be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. This is Christian's second time nominating President Trump. This time he cited uh, Trump's work in the Israel-United Arab Emirates peace conflict. Uh, according to the website for the Nobel Prize, there are currently 318 candidates for this year's prize. Um, it's also worth noting that Christian himself is Norway's top anti-immigration voice. So, you know, racist nominating racist, that's fine. Uh, but also, also, just because you're nominated doesn't mean you receive it. And just because you're nominated doesn't mean you're good. <laughs> There's a, and the proof of that is if you look back in the Nobel Peace Prize um, history, you'll find a very interesting addition to the 1939 prize. Um, and that is one Adolf Hitler. That's right. So if Adolf Hitler can get nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, you know, it's not really surprising that a racist would nominate Trump for the same prize. It doesn't mean he's going to get it either. Because, like I said, this is the second time that he's been nominated by this same person. The first time being in 2018. <sighs> just... Uh, um, anyway, moving along. So, th this one this one was pretty upsetting to me. Um, and I was... I played around with making this my wrap-up rant. But then I have a whole entire wrap-up rant that I actually really want to dive into. Um, but this one... This one, this one. Okay, so according to released tapes, um, <laughs> I'm so angry. According to released tapes, y'all's president knew how dangerous the coronavirus was. He knew how dangerous it was. He knew in February and March how dangerous this virus was in February and March. And refused to do anything about it. According to tapes released by journalist um, Bob Woodward. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm so... Anyway. I'm so angry. I don't even know how to describe it. But I'm going to go ahead and just play a segment of these Woodward tapes. Oh, what was uh, President Xi saying yesterday well we were talking mostly about the uh the virus and i think he's gonna have it in good shape but you know it's a very tricky situation it's uh it, it goes is. it goes through air bob that's always tougher than the touch you know the touch you don't have to touch things right but the air you just breathe the air that's how it's uh passed and so that's a very tricky one that's a very delicate one uh it's also more deadly than your you know, your, even your strenuous flus. You know, people don't realize we lose 25,000, 30,000 people a year here. Who, who would ever think that, right? I know. It's, I mean, it's pretty forgotten. amazing. And uh, then I say, well, is that the same thing? For, this is uh, more right. deadly. This is five per, you know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%. You know, so this is deadly stuff. John, I, I just want to... I <laughs> so yeah he he completely knew he knew he knew 
He knew how deadly this was. He knew that it traveled through the air. He knew that, you know, it, it, it was passed from person to person by simply breathing. He knew that. He said, quote, it's more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus, which is wild because he said that on February 7th. Meanwhile, on February 28th, he told the public, I can I think that's a problem that's going to go away. He told us that. Now, not that any of us were really listening to him because, you know, I, he hasn't really built up a lot of trust in people like me. But I'm thinking about the people who do trust him. I'm thinking about the people who do listen to him. I'm thinking about the people who, who actually believe in this president and his presidency and how they risked their lives, risked their lives still to this day, out here, running around, no masks on, risking their lives. Almost 200,000 Americans dead. Almost 200,000. I believe the last count, we're at either 189 or 190. And that number could double by this winter. Because like all the experts are saying, this could get potentially worse, especially during cold and flu season. I don't, I'm frustrated and I'm angry and I don't understand why instead of just trying to inform the public in a cool, calm, collected, measured way, how we fight this thing. You're talking to world leaders, you're talking to people all over the, all over the globe, you know, seeing what they're doing, seeing what, you know, how we fight this as human beings, because, you know, a virus doesn't care about your race, your, your, your ethnic background, your religious beliefs. A virus does not care. A virus just kills. A virus just do, does harm. That's all it does. And I don't understand. You had the potential. Like, I don't say nice things about Donald J. Trump. If he would have done the work to protect us from this virus, I would have no choice. People will have no choice but to say nice things. Instead, we're looking at astronomical, astronomical numbers. All right, so so at the time that I'm recording this, it's the middle of the week. It's the 9th. It's, no, it's September 9th, right? In two days, we're going to be observing September 11th. I remember September 11th. I was in high school. I was in my junior year, starting my junior year of, of high school. And I remember watching those planes collide into those buildings. I remember being sent home because no one could even concentrate. I remember how quiet everything was as I walked home, how the sky was completely devoid of planes. And here in Pennsylvania, we have our own, our own um, flight that crashed here too on the same day um, that was tied to those terrorist attacks. And I remember how we came together and how we seemed more patriotic. We seemed more patriotic. Now remember, I, I'm a 17-year-old kid, 16-year-old kid, probably 16. Um, and, you know, I'm singing in these choirs and I'm doing these memorial services because a bunch of the kids who 
attend our schools were related to a lot of those folks in those buildings. And it felt like it was almost every week we were doing another memorial or another another uh, joint service, another candlelight vigil, something. It just it, it but I remember how united we were um watching those those poor souls praying for their families and things like that. And I believe the number was 2500, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was about 2500 people who died that day. Every other day we are meeting those numbers with this virus. That is where we are. It's like 9-11 happening every other day here. That's insane. And where are the vigils for these folks? Where is the love and support for these folks? Where, where is the compassion for these folks? They barely even get mentioned. They're mentioned in a number. And I'm ashamed because I too am using that number by just talking about it. But these are people. These are people that people love. These are human beings that people love and value and treasure. These are people who belong to our communities. And your president knew how dangerous this thing was. And rather than calmly and collectively just getting us together as a people, as a nation, as, and preparing us for this epidemic, this pandemic, instead of doing that, he went anti-mask. You remember when he was talking about the various different states, he was naming various states, and he was saying, liberate this and liberate that, because those states had put in place measures to protect their people. He did that while knowing how deadly this virus was. He had rallies with no masks, knowing how deadly this virus was. He's had events with no no PPE, no protection, knowing how deadly this virus is. He knew. Pence knew. Their entire administration knew. And they did nothing to protect us. Nothing. And if that doesn't infuriate you, then I don't know what will. It's, mm, we deserve better. We deserve way better. We deserve so much better. And I don't even have the words. It's like I want to look at all of my conservative folks and all of, not that I have any, but I want to look at the conservative side and I want to look at the the right wing side and I want to look at all of these supporters and say, what do you think about your president now? Knowing that he risked your life and did nothing while he fully knew how dangerous this thing was. Fully knew. Fully knew. And if that doesn't fire you up, if that doesn't enrage you, if you're not taken aback by all that, I don't know what else to say. Outside of check your pulse. So, yeah, that's that on that. Um, We could talk more about that in the comments. We could talk more about that 
uh, in my DMs. You can reach out to me at The Reclaimed on Twitter or Instagram. Um, you can email me at TheReclaimedBlog at gmail.com. Um, and we can talk more about that. Um, and for everyone who has lost somebody or they themselves have contracted COVID, um, my heart is open to you. Um, I don't care what side of the aisle you stand on. Like, my heart is open to you. Like, we need to stop this. You know, we, we're letting our politics tear us apart. And it's okay. to. In fact, it's welcome. We should have a variety of different ideas and ideals. We should have a collection of different different belief systems and different and different ways of living and different ways of being the only thing that i get charged up about is those are those policies and beliefs and ideals that challenge my humanity and the humanity of others we could talk all day about how much money we put into uh infrastructure infrastructure we could talk about all we could talk all day about you know, the different policies that are, are, are being enacted. What we can't, what will not be a debate is my life. If you can't agree about my life, that's a whole different thing. That's a whole different monster. And so, yeah, but I don't care where you stand. If you've gotten this virus, if someone you know has gotten this virus, if someone you love and treasure and value has passed from this virus, my heart goes out to you. I am so sorry. I am so sorry you experienced that. And I'm so sorry that the people who were supposed to be at the top leading us failed us. And I'm angry. And I want you to be angry too. And I want you to be angry enough to make something happen this November. We have an election coming up. I know you're probably already sick of hearing about it. Um I'm sick of hearing about it too. But at the same time, this is this is it. This is our chance. This is literally life and death, you guys. We can either have an organ we can either have an administration that gets us back on track, that helps us build back, that helps us not even build back. Let's build forward. Let's go somewhere with this. We don't have to be who we used to be. We can be better. We can be better after this. And we can either have an administration that gets us to a a place of stasis. Or we can continue with the administration that we have that throws us into a free fall. A free fall. Where the economy sucks. It's hard to find jobs. We don't know what's going on with education. We have civil unrest, un, undiscussed civil unrest, mind you, from that from this administration. Um, we have too many people, too many people affected by this virus. We can do better. We are better than this. We can do better. So don't be out here complaining, crying and carrying on if you're not willing to vote. And I say that as a person who has been voting in almost every single election, midterm, presidential, all of them, since I could vote. So let's do it. Let's get out there. Let's vote. Also, while you're at it, don't forget to fill out the census, you guys. Like, I know that they're cutting the census short and they're doing it for deliberate reasons because they want to be able to 
in effect, erase different neighborhoods, um, different neighborhoods of color specifically. They want to be able to say that we're not there, say that we don't count. They want to make us not count. The way we count is filling out our census. The way we count is by voting. The way we count is participating in this democracy. So don't complain on Facebook and sit at home in November. Don't complain on Facebook and not fill out your census. You want to see something done in your community? These are, these are, there are steps. There are things we can do. And yeah, we can march in the street, yell and scream in the street, and all that's fine and necessary. That is needed when the people feel passionately about what they believe. Get out to, into the street. Do your due diligence. Make your sign. Make your voice heard. But also, in addition to that, vote. In addition to that, fill out your census. In addition to that, participate in this democracy. Because if you don't, they will erase you. And you will have no voice and no say in things that really matter to your life. Now, I'm looking at all the people who, who in 2016... We're saying, well, instead of voting for the less of two evils, I'm not going to vote at all. And here in my own state, hundreds of thousands of people stayed home. And I believe it was like something like we were off by 4,500 votes to turn this state blue. Think about that. Think about that. And that was in 2016, meaning that we could have avoided all of this. And I'm not saying that we wouldn't have had COVID deaths. And I'm not saying that a Clinton administration would be perfect because there is no perfect administration, no perfect president, no perfect administration. That being said, we wouldn't have almost 200,000 people gone. We had a pandemic team. We had teams of people Round, pe- round the clock observing these things, keeping us safe, keeping us healthy, keeping us well, keeping things under control. We had all of that. You know why we don't have a pandemic team anymore? Because the current, o- the current occupant of the White House got rid of it. Okay? This is what I'm talking about. For those who think that, you know, just because you've, just because you that voting will not affect your life. Look at your life for the last four years and tell me that it hasn't affected it. Now, I don't think that a Biden situation is great. I'm not excited to vote for Biden. I'm excited to vote for Kamala, but I'm not excited to vote for Biden. Let's just be fair. It's just a continuation of the pattern that has been the United States, another old white man running the country, right? But I am excited for change and I am excited to stop the free fall, to stop the bleeding, to stop the hemorrhaging, to stop the hurting. I am excited that people who know what they're doing will be back at the helms of things. And you won't have a Ben Carson who ruined his entire legacy, mind you, especially in the black community, ruined his entire legacy. This man was like, like Michael Jordan of health. We have such we held him in such high regard. And now he's a joke. He's ruined his legacy. I used to have storybooks about Ben Carson. You know, you wouldn't have a Betsy DeVos who has never stood in front of a classroom to teach anything. Leading the Department of Education, which is failing. Failing. 
you know? And it's so funny because those same Trump folks who get all upset about defund the police haven't said a single word about how we've been defunding education for, for years. And how we, we, we pay our teachers basically a, a non-livable wage. People who are supposed to be educating our children. People who are supposed to be preparing the next generation to be better than the ones who came before. We won't even pay them what they're worth. And those people pour out a lot of themselves. So I say all that to say, please vote. Please vote. Please vote. Register to vote. Um, I don't have anything, any materials with me to tell you what to go or where to go. But I will I will have some. <laughs> I will have some by the next show. And we can talk more about it. But yeah, please vote if you can. If you're old enough to vote, if you're able to vote, if if it's in your power to vote, it is September 9th as I'm recording this. We have two we have less than 2 months and we can do this. Please vote. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get to our next segment. Oh, let me tell you about our next segment. So, in the mess in the message this week, I had the opportunity to speak with Kim Snyder. Kim Snyder is the director of multiple documentaries, including Newtown and the one that I recently saw called Us Kids. Us Kids chronicles what happened after the Parkland shooting and what happened after the March for Our Lives and what happened to those young voices that were so prolific and so powerful. Um, And how they came through a lot of adversity, a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma. It's heartbreaking. Um, Some of the stories and how they how they persevere through all these things. Um, I watched it. I've watched it three times now. I went to the uh, the Philadelphia screening of it. it was a drive through. It was really fun. And then I got to see it twice here to prepare for the conversation that you're about to listen to. Um, and so Kim released this film. No, I'm sorry. The film doesn't get released till October of this year. However, it was uh, first viewed at Sundance this past January. And I thought it was it's really interesting, the timing of things, because I'm watching a film that chronicles Parkland. Now, Parkland happened two years ago, back in 2018, actually on my birthday, February 14th, um, but it happened 2018. And so it, she literally followed them through their, you know, they did a bus tour, they did a bunch of, of voting situations, voting campaigns and things like that. And she followed them through all of that. And it's just, it's such a good film. And I'm like, I, I'm heartbroken for these, for these young people um, who had to come through this and how the trauma still is with them. Of course, just mere two years later. And they're, 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 they were children when this happened, 17, 18 year olds, you know, they're not, you know, even if they were adults, it would still be extremely traumatic. But the fact that is they're in their formative years and experienced this level of violence. What I loved about it was it didn't stop at the Parkland kids. This conversation carries on to talk about gun violence across the nation, specifically in Milwaukee 
and Chicago. And I thought that was really, really dope that they, um, that the students were aware enough to say, hey, yes, this horrible thing happened to us, but there's people who are growing up with gun violence like this every single day in their neighborhoods. Like, how can we help? How can we assist? How can we address that? Because I remember when Parkland happened, it was like people were talking about Parkland, 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 Parkland. To be fair, a lot of those kids, you know, had parents, you know, that were supportive, parents that were helping them and assisting them and and opening the door to their passion and opening to the door to let them speak out and things like that because that was part of their own healing. But then I didn't hear anything about like the other kids that grow up with constant gun violence. And so as a black woman looking at all this who, who has lived in black communities, um, and I'm not saying that every black community is dangerous. But I know that the, the, I didn't see a gun until a police officer presentation happened at my school. Like, so I didn't grow up like that. I didn't grow up with gun violence being so prevalent and in my face, but I knew a lot of people who did. And I discussed those things with those people who have. And so I'm not going to. I'm not going to diminish the experiences of others just because it's not mine, you know, and no one should do that. You'd be surprised about how many people do. However, this film doesn't do that. This film discusses that. And even some of the the major figures like Emma Gonzalez, she even says that she's like, it's not fair that people want to take pictures with me um, when this terrible thing happened to me. And there's people who grow up with this every single day and no one will talk about what they are going through. And so she calls out the BS and she calls out the racism and she calls out how the media won't tell the stories of black and brown children that deal with gun violence every day. But just as soon, just as soon as it happens in a a quote unquote, one of those neighborhoods where it's like you, <laughs> you you know how the people say, well, how could this happen here? One of those neighborhoods, yeah. Because I believe Parkland was believed to be one of the safest neighborhoods in the United States before this shooting. So, yeah. So, anyway, we talk about a few of these different things. Um, and without further ado, here is Kim Snyder telling us about us kids. Gracious. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Whitney, for, for taking your time and for watching the film. It's, it was powerful. It was really, really powerful. Um, a little bit about me. I, I, I love kids. Um, I used to be an educator before I became a writer. And so I'm all about, like, anything to protect children. So, like, when Newtown happened, when Parkland happened, anytime I hear about, well, shootings in general, but schools especially, like, it's just... <laughs> yeah, so. I hear you. I hear you. And I just hung up the phone with with Alex King, who's in the film from Chicago. Yeah. And uh, he's going to be joining us on Zoom along with Bria Smith from Wisconsin. And I was telling him, I like I've been interviewed in the past days by two girls who are like uh, like ten and eleven, both black, 
both loved the movie, which makes me feel really good because they really made connections. Um, so that's important to me that mm -hmm. the film bef before all of Black Lives Matter had some reckoning with that connection, which we can talk about of, of gun violence and racial justice. Right. So, but it's shocking that kids that age want to watch, you know, because the, the industry will say they won't watch a full length documentary, but they both did. And they clearly watched the whole thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anyhow. That was <laughs> awesome. I love that. I was, see, I, I find myself like being like that, those 10 year olds that you talked about, because I, I used to love documentaries. I still do. I'm, I'm a big nerd. Documentaries. I love hearing like backstories. I love all of that. So this was just right up my alley. And anything to keep people safe, <laughs> please, God. Oh, thank, thank you for that. No, but it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. I, had, I took to my Twitter and I said, wow, in a good way. <laughs> oh, good, good, right. good. So, um, yeah, so say, thank you so much for your time. I'm not going to take up too much of your time today because um, I know that you're extremely busy, especially like with no all worries. the things. No worries, I'm good now. I just needed to get here. I, I, I try not to take up too much of people's time, and you've already been generous enough to give it to me. So um, just, a, just a few questions for you, and they're going to be. Um, so I noticed, so following the story, first of all, very well done. I love that. I love that we bounced around, and yes, we followed two of the more prominent figures, but then we got to see some people who didn't get as much press I hate to use that phrase, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Um, but I love that we got to see all of these multiple layers and all these different sides of the story. We got to see different perspectives about gun violence that, you know, yes, this terrible thing happened in Parkland, but also let's head on over to Chicago. Let's head on over to Milwaukee. Um, let's see what this entire generation of, of youth and young people are saying about this entire issue. Um, so I just had a quick question. Um, what, why did you choose the specific people that you chose to focus on? Well, you know, when you're making a documentary, you use instinct a lot. You know, there were hundreds of kids that I met, honestly, that were all remarkable. So I would say these kids that are depicted in the film, I think are remarkable human, young human beings, but they represent, I think so many thousands and thousands of kids that are just really stepping up. Um, and, you know, for, for me, there was this core group that started out and then it was important for me to simply give them the voice um, and what was so important to them at the beginning was they said, look, as Emma said, you know, it's not fair that we're getting all this attention because mass shootings really only those kind of mass shootings are, are horrific, but they really only represent 2% of gun violence. Mm -hmm. And so it was important from them right from the beginning to say, it isn't fair that a lot of our contemporaries and that whole part of the movie where Emma connects with Alex through social media, mm -hmm. right in the beginning, they were like, we've got to use this to shine light on our contemporaries in, in black and brown communities across the country. And that's, they, they set out across the country to do all kinds of things, to talk to gun, you know, pro-gun guys in Texas, and then they get joined up. Makes me think of the Wizard of Oz. It's kind of like, you know, they pick up the Tin Man. And, you know, so it's like there were certain, there were so many people like Alex and Bria who will be joining me tonight, but 
who had been working for years had been personally affected by gun violence and been fighting that good fight. And then as Bria said, really honestly, you know, once again, a mass shooting got all this attention in a community that the media, it's actually not true that Parkland doesn't have any diversity, but it wasn't, you know, it's depicted a lot as this kind of, you know, privileged, more privileged white community. Mm-hmm. And she aptly says, you know, I, I was hearing about, I was like, what about my, what about my neighborhood in Milwaukee? Mm-hmm. And then she kind of ends up, you know, it's not just some media kumbaya moment. She right. really travels with them for months. And that to me is the guts of what made the civil rights movement work and so many other movements. It's coalition building. It, it's what's happening in Black Lives Matters, hopefully. Right. It's when people come together with one united vision and they come from very different, they cut across uh, not just racial, but all kinds of lines of of, um, of class, of race, of, of age, of gender, of sexuality, and they all come together and they say, we share this vision to make this change. And, and, and that's what's hopeful about the movie for me is you see that that's real. And that, that genuineness, that authenticity comes when people actually spend real time together. Yeah. And, and shared empathy. Yeah. No, no, I was just, in, I mean, I'm in complete agreement with you. It was, it was just yeah. so beautiful to watch how interwoven each of the stories are. And it's like, you can't tell one individual story without another person popping up or another person's story being interwoven. Like with Sam, uh, Sam Fuentes, I believe her last name is. And she went to go visit the brother of her friend who passed and how his story got woven in, but he wasn't really like a super vocal, like, figure in the film but it it, you could you could feel the ache of like what brought them together um and you know just listening to the kids just listening to them I I hate to call them kids because they're they're literally like most of them are young adults right now and so but listening to them and hearing how they like they don't mind being called kids by the way I always you know what they don't because they want people part of the film was to show you know, these are young people. Maybe they're not yeah. kids. They're coming of age. But 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 it's to show that it's it's a generation of kids that are growing up on a foundation of trauma yes. and anger, which totally justified. Yes. But they're taking that trauma and anger, and they're doing something so productive, constructive, and admirable with it. Yeah, they are. They really are. As a millennial, I'm standing back, just like, look at you. You guys are awesome. And growing up in Philadelphia, um, especially in the communities in which I, I, I grew up, I completely related to Alex, to Bria. Um, you know, we've been talking about gun violence, like, since I was a kid, or some of my earliest memories were talking about gun violence and things like that. And I'm like, you know, it, it, you don't want to reduce the horror of the moment that these, these people endure. You know, people lost their lives. People lost people that they treasure and value. Um, you don't want to reduce that. But at the same time, you're just like, okay, well, hi, we're over here too. Like, come on over. Let's talk about it. And I love that Emma was so, like, really raw about it and saying, like, it's not fair that our community gets all this focus, but there's other communities that have been dealing with this 
for decades and no one is addressing it. Um, and it's, it's kind of a great segue to our, my next question. Um, how do you feel? So the film came out in, in January of this year, which, you know, 2020 just has been 2020-ing all over the place. So um, how do you feel that the film speaks to the moment that we are in right now? I feel it's more relevant than when we premiered it at Sundance and very uh, prescient. Like a lot of the lines that kid, the kids say in the movie now, six months later, I'm like, wow, that was like really uh, like gives me chills looking into the future um, in that, you know, Cameron at one point says, I really think the world will be very different than the one we know in, and he says 50 years. And you're thinking, how about six months? Right. Um, <laughs> you know, but it feels more relevant post COVID because, and post black lives matter, because I was saying before, they really understood from the very beginning that important intersectionality that you can't talk about gun violence without talking about racial justice. And you can't, there are so many interconnections that I think their generation understands better than mine did of not siloing these issues, this, this issue's over here and this issue's over here. So I feel that that becomes very relevant conversation. And the COVID part, um, you know, gun violence is a chronic public health crisis. I mean, so sad now that over 40,000 people a year, nine of them being children every single day in this country was already an epidemic, right? Now we're dealing with this mega acute public health crisis, COVID, but they certainly have always framed this as a public health issue, not a political issue. And we're now looking at the same, there's parallels to me with COVID. It's a public health crisis. It's not a political, it's not to be politicized. And um, it's just factual. People die. There's this great um, law enforcement guy. I think he was in Houston when there was an incident there. Um, and he said, you know, death is not political. It's final. And I just, I think that's, I'm not misquoting him. But I think that is the essence that they feel this is not a political film. It's it's a it, it it's it's a it's a film that is a raw expression of kids of this generation feeling scared, traumatized, really pissed off, and wanting to do something about it in the honor of their fallen friends. And I commend that. I share that feeling. It's outrageous. And they're saying, and the rest of the world looks at us the same way. What is it? that, you know, that what is going on that young people and kids have to be the ones saying things that are just totally common sense to save people's lives. So that's kind of, you know, the idea of the movie is not a gun reform movie. It's not a film about the Parkland shooting. As you see, there's very little that even deals with that day. Um, it's really about what they did in the wake of that and how they joined forces. And as you you pointed out, I think this, the story of Sam and Alex is so important to just understand the trauma it's built upon and that Sam and Alex represent hundreds of thousands of kids who have PTSD because they were shot themselves, because their brother died, because someone in their neighborhood every single day dies and they're traumatized for, you know, 
those those scars last a lifetime. So hopefully this will speak to not only, you know, so many people who've been victims of gun violence to transform that hurt and um, that injury that's both uh, psychic, physical, moral injury into something productive, but also um, to inspire so many other kids to and, and to get people out to vote. Um, that that's what we're feeling in this moment in uh, as we are now in September of 2020 is it's really important and it's again not in a in 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 the space of bipartisanship it's in the space of young people need to get civically involved even if it's down ballot and I think a lot of young people I know are thinking about it in terms of the issues they care about you know I just want a morally just leader Right. That will address things that are threatening my life and the and the lives of people that I love. It's right. it's not that complicated. Not at all. Not at all. And I love that you segued into voting. Um, this is actually not one of my questions, but there was a segment where um, you see David and he's tweeting and you see Emma and they're tweeting and you could see the map of the United States and how, you know, they're talking about voting and how they changed the dynamics across the nation. And I'm sitting here as a person who has been voting for not so long, but for a long time. And I'm thinking, I'm like, wow, like they really did that. Like They really did that. And like, that's really inspiring for for me. And so if I'm inspired where I am, I can only imagine like how other people their age or even younger, um, there was a there was a moment um in the March for Our Lives um where the young I forget her name, beautiful black girl, she had beautiful hair, and she was saying, I'm Naomi, Naomi Walker. Yes, she was amazing. Love her. Yeah, she's amazing. I was like, Oh my gosh. I got to get to know this young woman because I'm like, I'm going to be seeing her soon. I'm going to be seeing a lot of her soon. Um, she says, you know, it's only seven short years before I can vote. And I'm just in there like, you go, girl. <laughs> I'm so excited. And hopefully it's not just before she can vote. It's before she can run for city council. I mean, part yeah. of the message of this film is civic engagement. And it's to understand they can have power right. to change all of these things that are messed up. And that's what these kids did. And they used their prowess with social media. They used their smarts. And they kind of circumvented a lot of the old school in-the-box rules. And they were like, we can do this. And they turned out the largest youth protest in American history and got five continents to join. Uh, That's in, In 37 days, they did that. They did that in 37 days. So I'm like, and then they didn't stop and they turned, they were influential in turning out, you know, one of the highest youth voter turnouts in midterm history. So I'm hoping come November and before, because there's mail-in and early and all, like right now, I'm hoping that um, that will inspire others to understand how important it is to do their what I see as our moral responsibility as Americans, right. which is to, and, and, and the foundation of democracy is to, you know, use that power that, you know, we're blessed to have despite a lot of the um, challenges with yeah. COVID, with stuff we know that goes on like voter suppression, 
um, we've got to we've got to fight that fight. Mm-hmm. And I love that you said earlier that this is not a political movie um, because I never got any politics out of it. What I got was humanity. I got a human message. These are humans, young humans, but humans with something to say and experience that they they have lived, and they're connecting with people who, you know, fought in Vietnam and they're connecting with people in the suburbs, people in the cities, people in, in, you know, on farms, people who love guns, people who hate guns, but they're connecting with, it's a human story. And I love that message of, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you stand on. If you can't see me as a human being, if you can't agree with my own safety as a, as a person, then where can we possibly stand? And that's kind of connected, not even kind of, it's very embedded into the moment that we're having right now with Black Lives Matter, um, with all of the civil, they call it civil unrest. And I'm like, well, this has been stirring up for years. It's just more, it feels like there's just more people are seeing it and more people are interested in it and more people are, are fighting for it. And just how that movement how we're watching like, you know, all these different countries and, you know, every single state and all these different elements started coming together. It's the same thing that I just watched in your film where I'm like, we, we can really do this. <laughs> and I think people need to be reminded, you know, cause we've been getting kicked in the teeth by 2020, um, that we can really do this. We can really be the change we want to see. And I think that your film does that. I think your film reminds us of, the best parts of us that we are we are not our political parties we are human beings trying to make this experiment known as the united states work and here's how we can do it together it's very inclusive it's never really repulsive it's very inclusive message well thank you for that i mean i think to that end we really want the film to be seen as a call to action um and to that end, you know, tonight we're showing it here in Philly in the Navy Yard at the drive-in. And we actually have people, I'm just going to say this, if people go to our website, uskids.film, we've got some free car tickets, coming cars, uh, COVID safe to the Navy Yard. Um, and and it, it, we have a, also, a lot, I will be there live. It's the only one that I'm showing up from, for because I grew up in Pennsylvania and drove here at dawn from uh, way out on Eastern Long Island. But um, I'll be there live with a couple of um, special guests, someone from Headcount here in, uh, you know, turning out the vote. Uh, and we've got a, a couple of the, the, the kids from the film hopefully zooming in. And also local um, activist and um, local activist and resident um, Kalia Ali will be joining as well. So that's happening. The film, our, our conversation, I think, is at 7.30. The doors open at 7, and the film will play at 8. But I'm loving the drive-in thing, you know? <laughs> I, it's not what you thought, like, that 2020 would look like with your film, but it's kind of a special thing to be outside while we still can, safely, in a car. If you're with people, you're potting up with your family. Uh, you can bring some food. You know, it's, it's really a great... Um, way to take it in. You can cry. Not that the whole film's sad, as you know. Yeah. I, do, I do think the film is more hopeful than sad, and I hope people feel that um, as you did. Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much for your time. Um, 
Yeah, I that's you've answered every everything I have. Um yeah. Wasn't that lovely? Like I she was so gracious and so kind um to have a conversation with me about this film and why this film matters and why this film matters in this particular moment that we're living in. Um, so if you guys get a chance, go see it, go see it, not sponsored, go see it. Um, us kids, it, it's going to be released in October, which is awesome because it's, it's a great time to remind everybody to prep to go and vote. That's right. All right. So let's get it to the wrap up rant and blacks in the deep end. So let me tell you about a 13 year old named Lyndon Cameron. Lyndon Cameron is a 13-year-old living in Utah. He has autism and Asperger's. And he was having a meltdown. He was having a meltdown. And his mom, who had just started a new job, had to take him to the hospital for some treatment. And, you know, he's in the middle of a meltdown. He's 13 years old. So, you know, he's sizable at this point. And she calls for a crisis intervention team. The crisis intervention team is supposed to be a trained group of professional police officers who are, their whole job is to de-escalate mental health issues. So she calls them. She explains what happens. She explains that Lyndon is unarmed, that he doesn't have anything to hurt anyone, that she just needs him to calm down enough to head to the hospital that is all right the officers arrive and rather than de-escalating the situation they shoot this unarmed 13 year old autistic young man 13 year old he's a kid he's a literal child having a meltdown because he was afraid He sees the officers. He takes off running because he's scared because they scared him. So he's in the middle of a, of a, of a crisis. He's in the middle of, 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 of an attack of some sort. And rather than the officers having compassion or kindness to this person who is clearly having massive issues, they shoot him. They shoot him. They shoot him. His mom is right there. Witnessed the whole thing. (laughs) All right, I'm sorry. Blue lives matter where? All lives matter where? Where are you at? Where are you at on this? Because the only people who I see talking about it is Black Lives Matter. This is not a black child, mind you. This is a white child. But this is the things that we keep talking about when we keep saying that we need better trained police officers, that we need police reform. These are the things that we're talking about. She called not because something was, not because someone was committing any violence, not because someone was committing any harm. Her son was having a meltdown. Her autistic son with Asperger's was having a meltdown and he needed help. He needed help help and these officers filled his body with bullets so now he's in laying in a hospital he survived thank god 
But he's laying in a hospital, having been shot in the shoulder, having vital organs being pierced with bullets. When all this mom wanted him to do was to calm down. I watched her interview and when brokenhearted doesn't describe it because she's clearly traumatized by the whole situation. Yo. And I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the folks who were like the all lives matter people who kind of railed on me about talking about police brutality and police violence because I'm waiting for them to have something to say about this. This happened a few days ago. And I'm not trying to use Lyndon as a political prop, but to be fair, this is not even about politics. This is about morality. It's immoral to harm people when they're in the middle of a crisis. That young man was having a meltdown. Anyone, anyone with any type of training would have known, yeah, let's not fill him with bullets. Let's go try to calm him down. Let's go assist. That's why she called the crisis intervention team. He wasn't robbing anybody. He wasn't hurting anybody. He was having a personal issue that needed to be addressed. And they are supposed to have the training. Supposed to have the training. Because they're on this critical, they're on, they're on this crisis intervention team. They're supposed to have the training to de-escalate. Not shoot to kill. This was attempted murder at this point. But we don't have any problems with police officers. And back the blue. And all this other stuff. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, Salt Lake PD? Are you kidding me? (sighs) So my heart goes out to that family. My heart goes out to also the other families of people who have also had mental health issues and went to officers for help and this is how they were treated my heart goes out to the moms who don't get the interviews the moms who have to save face and can't scream and cry and carry on on tv because they'll just be labeled as another emotional black woman my heart goes out to the ones who have to force themselves down Force the rage and the hurt and the sadness and the pain down because they witnessed people who were supposed to help them harm the ones they love most. That's where I'm at. All right, let's let's end this show on the positive note. Let's talk about blacks in the deep end. Regina King. Regina King. Oscar winning Regina King recently featured a film um which was her directorial debut called one night in miami and it premiered at the venice film festival making it the first movie directed by an african-american woman to be selected in the festival's history and we can say all we want about the venice festival and why that's trash because black women have been directing movies for years but i'm not going to because i want to talk about regina regina congratulations this is massive um i believe the film is specifically about a time where it was muhammad ali malcolm x and several other historical figures all in, in one photo and how that photo came to be um but yes that's massive that is huge congratulations regina 
you deserve all the good in the world. Speaking of a person who deserves all the good in the world, Naomi Osaka. So we talked about Naomi Osaka last week. That she was, I believe we talked about her the last two weeks, but I'm becoming a fan. So anytime this young woman does something great, I'm going to talk about her. Okay, let's just go ahead and say that. I'm, this is uh, officially the Naomi Osaka fan show. So uh, last week she she premiered, not premiered, sorry. She wore several different masks, bear, face masks uh, because of the global pandemic that we're having bearing the names of people who have passed either by racial or by police brutality. And following that, following her her latest win against Shelby Rogers, Naomi was shown video messages from Trayvon Martin's mom, Sabrina Fulton, and by Ahmaud Arbery's father, Marcus Arbery. And both of them thanked Asaka for wearing their children's names on their masks um, during the U.S. Open. And it was <laughs> it was really sweet. It was a really sweet moment. And she she says in a tweet that something to the effect of, you know, you never think that what you're going to do is going to make a difference. And when people come and tell you how much it means to them that that's just that's just further incentive to keep going like these two people lost lost their children these are their children and they're over here thanking this tennis player for bringing awareness to the lack of justice that happens when you're black and in this country that people automatically assume guilt before innocence um, and that they'll push your name to the back of the discussion. They'll push your name to the back of the narrative. They'll push your name to a place where people won't remember. And Naomi's not about that. So, you know, through these, these seemingly small acts, she, she does dope things. So I'm over the moon with this girl like thank you Naomi thank you so much for bringing light to these things it sucks that you have to and it sucks that you know there's a need to but thank you for doing so um okay that's it for this week's show thank you guys so much for tuning in thank you for your likes your shares your subscribes don't forget to please 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 do not forget to leave a review Wherever you are listening to this, drop five stars because yes, <laughs> I'm actually I'm not I'm not here to tell you what to drop, but drop what you feel. I hope it's five stars, but if not, please tell me why. Um, because I love reading your reviews, I love reading your comments. You guys have been so incredibly kind. Thank you guys for showing your support on Patreon. If you would like to keep this show independent, you too can become a supporter of this show. You can head on over to patreon.com forward slash Whitney Elise and show your love, show your support. I have multiple tiers of support. You could pick whichever one you want. Um, also, patrons receive um, they receive exclusive drops that I don't share anywhere else. Um, they receive backstories. They get a lot of content that none of my other platforms get. So get on over there and be a patron. Um, 
And that's it for this week's show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we're going to have fun. We got to have fun soon because my whole heart, you guys, it's, it was a heavy news day, but hang in there, hang in there because, um, we're going to make it. We're going to be all right. Uh, love somebody, love yourself, love God, take care of yourselves, eat some vegetables, get some sleep, drink water, and please, please, please wear a mask and wash your hands and vote. And until next time, peace, y'all.